different foundations to being constitutional, why you don't need to be an expert, and can Congress abdicate its powers? Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show exclusive to the Blaze, where you come for the accent. And as I've been told recently, some of you come for the French accent. Oh, oui, oui, oh. But you stay for the principles. We have a jam-packed show for you today, and I want to talk to you today about the Constitution, because one of the things I've noticed is there's a lot of people, and this has actually been on my social media over the last couple of weeks, it's been crazy, arguing over what is and what isn't constitutional. Now, full disclosure, a lot of this debate has been around the emergency, you know, national emergency, the funding for the border. I don't want to talk about that issue. I want to take a step back. Because I've heard friends on all sides, they all talk about the constitutionality of certain laws. And this has been going on in conservative circles for the longest period of time. And I actually wanted to take a step back, and I actually had a lot of discussions with people over the last maybe 10 days about, well, you're saying it's constitutional, you have a different opinion, what are you basing it on? And I did some research, and I want to just talk to you about what I've learned. And what I've learned is... When people say X law is constitutional, their basis is different, depending on the person you ask. And I think it's absolutely critical that we actually just take a step back and look at what is the basis for the Constitution. That we take a step back and kind of go, look at around people and look at what they're saying and see if they're consistent. But are, what is their framework? What is their foundation for saying something is constitutional? And I think there is some groundwork that we can actually do and actually have an honest discussion, not about a certain law, whether, you know, because the politics get involved or whether it is an emergency or whether it isn't an emergency on the border, but actually just looking at any law and kind of going, why are you saying that's constitutional? And is it maybe not, we're not arguing or disagreeing over the actual emergency or if we're actually arguing or disagreeing over the actual policy, but actually is it something more deeper? Do we all have a fundamental grasp of what actually is constitutional and what isn't? And there are certain groups, and I want to just talk to, talk to you about them today, about the different groups I have found. The first group is what you usually caused, called an originalist. This person usually will talk about originalist intent of the Constitution. They'll talk a lot about what your founders wanted. They'll be very, you know, they'll talk an awful lot about the founders' writings. They'll talk about the Declaration of Independence an awful lot. They'll talk about the Bill of Rights. But they'll always bring every conversation back to the Constitution. They'll talk about the policy of the day or the, the, you know, whatever principle they're arguing for. But it'll always come back down to the Constitution. The Constitution is a wonderful document. It's very short. Anyone can read it. It's, you know, it's, it's one of the things anyone can have an opinion on. You know, they'll also use maybe supporting evidence like the Federalist or Anti-Federalist papers because they are a great read because they covered so much of the, the stuff we talk about today in depth. You know, the great thing about your founders was there's many great things, but one of them was they were so smart and they actually saw, foresaw a lot of the problems that would happen. They foresaw a lot of the problems that we see today. And they spoke about them. They wrote them in the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers. And they understood them. They looked around at why other civilizations failed. They looked around at ancient Rome. They studied the Roman Senate. Why did that not work? They studied the great British monarchy. Why does a king is not a good system? Why is the parliamentary system not good? 
Why do you need a set of values where you have the constitution, where you have checks and balances, where you have co-equal branches of government, where you have things like an electoral college? They looked around and they studied the world and they knew man was deeply flawed and that this document with checks and balances would keep them in line or that's what they hoped. So what are the several key principles that an originalist will talk about? Well, you got to go through, I'm just going to hit on a few big points. One, they will always argue, or should always argue if they're an originalist, Article 1 power. Article 1 power is the Congress, and all power shall be vested in Congress. These words are crystal clear. They're, they're, it's like shall not be infringed in the Second Amendment. They do not get any clearer. There isn't a little asterisk above, shall not be infringed. Well, you can infringe on this right if you do the certain things. You know, you shall, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But if this situation happens, we can infringe on it. No, it shall not be infringed. Your founders are very clear. All power shall be vested in Congress. There isn't an asterisk beside that that says, well, John, what happens if Congress doesn't work? Well, then you elect new ones in two years or in six years. This is why the founders were were so critical. But also, there's this narrative today that you want a quick-moving Congress. Your founders warned against that many times. They, that's why they ha- gave the House of Representatives two years, the presidency four, and the Senate six. Because one of the things your founders feared, because they studied around the world, they feared a wave election. Whereas if they just had a parliamentary system every two years or three years, that if this big, all of a sudden, hey, socialism becomes cool, or big government becomes cool, or let's blame the Jews, or whatever issue you are passionate about, that all of a sudden becomes popular and you have a wave election, guess what? It takes a long time to overturn that wave. You're seeing this with Obamacare. You actually need men and women with honor and integrity who will campaign and say, that was wrong, we're going to stop it. And not only are we going to stop it, we're going to repeal it. You saw how hard this was in your politics with Obamacare. You see this how hard this is with issues like taxes. So they believed... All power should be vested in Congress. But also, not it isn't unlimited, because people will say, well, all power is vested in Congress. No, 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 no. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution is the enumerated clause powers. And there is 18 powers that the federal government can do. 18. That's it. Not 19, not 20, not 100. There are 18 things your government can do in Congress. Everything else is left to the states. Now, the sad thing is how much you have changed on this is you can't even name 18 things the federal government can't do. The Constitution says 18 things, this is what Congress can do. 18 things. You can't give me 18 things that Congress will never do. Heck, I would struggle to give you even one because it is so infringed on your rights and so has become so powerful. The other thing that you'll hear originalists talk about is that states gave the D.C. power. Not the other way around. There are many reasons, and if you're a long-term listener to this show, you will know that I highlight as best as I can why America factually, and my opinion, factually why you're an exceptional nation. One of those reasons is you're the exact opposite in your founding and the way your founders set up the federal government. Because every other nation, Ireland, England, France, oui, oui, France, oh, 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 oh. yes, even France, Germany, Russia, China, it's all set up in a similar terms. And what they usually did was they had a figurehead at the top. Now, that figurehead is called different things. You know, if you're in England, it might be the king or the queen, the monarch. If you're in, in Iran, it might be the Ayatollah. If you're in China, it might be the prime minister. In Ireland, it might be the Taoiseach. We all call things different names. It might be a dictator, El commander, whatever label you want. That person at the top said, all these powers are now mine. Now, some took a few, some took a lot. But these powers are mine. And then the body underneath them went, okay, well, we're the Parliament or the Congress or the Senate. We will have all these powers. And then it will trickle down to the people. And eventually, whatever was left was the local authority or, you know, the state government or the local municipality government, whatever is the lowest form. But they got what was left. 
Your founders were the exact opposite because your founders said, as your country, your country didn't come together and form and give the states power. Your 13 colonies came together to form the United States of America. And they formed it and said, we will give the federal government these powers, these 18 things they can do, 18 clauses. Everything else is our job. The presidency, Article 2 power, has no real power. This is the thing that's been lost on modern-day conservatism and constitutionalists. The president, read it. Read Article 2. It's one of the shorter articles that you can read. They have no power. They're commander-in-chief of the army, but they need Senate approval to go to war. They have veto power on things that are unconstitutional. They're a figurehead. You know what's funny and ironic, and I might actually do a show about this? If you actually look at what your founders saw as a presidency... When they said, you know what, we're going to have a president, that was the lowest title they could think of in the 1700s. You look at Article 2 power, and you look at what they fought against the King of England. Today, you flip so much that the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, is more in line with Article 2 power than the presidency over the last four years, eight years, 16 years, 20 years, 25 years, 40 years. This is not a slam on Donald Trump. This is not a slam on anyone. This is a fact. You've become, the idea of your founders would say, you know what, the president is the most powerful man or woman in the world, would really terrify them. They'd be like, no, 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 that cannot happen. The presidency is a lowly title. The role of all three branches, Article 1 in Congress, which is the House and the Senate, Article 2, which is the presidency, and Article 3, which is the Supreme Court, all have one major role. And that is to decide whether a bill is constitutional or not. One of the things that has happened, and this is going back, and if you had to lay blame at one person's door, it would probably be George Bush Jr. When I think it was like 2007, he was like, well, I'm not, it's not my job as president to decide whether a bill is constitutional or not. We just leave that to the Supreme Court. That was abdicating his power in a bad way, and it was horrible. It is the job of all people to decide whether a bill is constitutional or not. Because at the end of the day, every time you're elected, every two years in the House, every four years president, you take an oath of office. You place your hand on a Bible or a Quran or a, a sacred book, and you pledge some version of the following, to preserve, defend, and protect the Constitution of the United States. You can't sort of go, well, you know what, that's the Supreme Court's job, not mine. No, no, it's all branches of government have to decide this. And it is that idea that you keep each other in line, that you go, no, 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 that's unconstitutional. And the last difference you will hear from an originalist is how they see government. Government's job is not to give you rights. It is not to take your rights away. It's not government's job to say, well, you have these rights and guess what? Now you don't have them anymore because we negotiated to compromise on some big deal. No, government's job, as enshrined in the Declaration of Independence, is to protect your rights because each individual ha- you have that you know, everyone listening to this show, everyone not listening to this show, everyone watching The Blaze, not watching The Blaze, everyone has a certain set of rights and they're enshrined in your Bill of Rights. And it is government's job to protect those rights, to ensure nothing ever happens to them. Now, that's the originalist. Second set of people who I see. I don't know what you would call these as a label, because we have to make labels, you know, cool. Maybe constitutional plus is something I came up with. This person will talk in similar terms to the originalist. They may even have a lot of commonalities. They might talk about Article 1, Article 2, Article 3 that we just spoke about. But there is one sole difference between the originalist and this person. And that is how they view the founding documents. Because they will talk about the founding documents. They will talk about the Constitution. They'll talk about the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist Papers. But they will also talk about something else. And that is case law. Or precedent. It's legal terms. Let me give you a prime example of this. Of how, because full disclosure here, I'm not trying to tell you how to think, but I am an originalist. Whether you like it or not, that is what I am. Do you remember the whole Obamacare case? 
Obamacare going to the Supreme Court. It is a tax. It isn't a tax. It is a tax. It isn't a tax. Oh, you want a French accent? It is a, it is a tax. Oh, it is not a tax. My argument would have been for the Supreme Court. My, my defense of why Obamacare was unconstitutional might have been a record for the shortest defense of all time. I would have went to the judge and I went, okay, Mr. Dunn, you can make your case. Why is Obamacare unconstitutional? And I would have said the following. Your Honor, I submit one piece of evidence and one piece of evidence only. It is Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. There is 18 clauses in there, Your Honor. If you can find health care in there, and you can find any version of health care, then, Your Honor, I urge you to make this a constitutional bill. However, I know our health care, in any form, is not in Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Therefore, it is unconstitutional because it is not there. Health care is a right to the states, if at all, if government is involved in any way. End of discussion. Your Honor, I rest my case. What happened in Obamacare? What happened in the Supreme Court? What you had was people making the case and talking about all these different laws and different cases and different precedent. This happens on our all every day that the Supreme Court hears. If you want proof of this, just go listen to any Supreme Court case, whether it's on Obamacare, whether it's on taxes, whether it's on the border, whether it's on immigration, on anything. Any Supreme Court decision they have heard, go research what they talk about. The case where the people are saying this is unconstitutional, they may cite the Constitution, but they'll cite case law. They'll cite precedent. If you want a simple example of this, if you go watch any episode of Law and Order. If you want exa- a prime example of what I'm saying, a very simple example. Watch any episode of Law and Order where it gets to the, the case where you know they have the bad guy and then the bad guy is caught by the police and then the lawyers get involved. You have the lawyers right involved. And they'll cite this case versus that case. You know, Brown versus this case. They'll cite all that. That is case law. That is precedent. People who believe in the Constitution talk about the Constitution, but they will also talk about the legal precedent. You're seeing this right now, by the way. You know, what led to this monologue was the National Emergencies Act. You're seeing the National Emergencies Act of 1976 been discussed. It's not the Constitution. I'm not saying I'm not getting involved right now whether it is or it isn't, but that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a lot of people say, well, this has always happened with funding and there's these statutes on the book. This is, I'm not saying whether you're right or wrong, I'm just making down the case. Then you'll have another set of people. And these are the legal scholars, quote-unquote, of the day. This person, you will rarely hear them talk about the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist or Anti-Federalist Papers. They literally look at the Constitution as nothing more than a piece of paper that's written 240 years ago that they never even think about. What they focus on is what the case law is. They focus solely on the case law. What is the precedent? That is what they do. You see this a lot of times with our liberal friends. They will argue on the precedent. Now, even though... The precedent is really bad in some cases. Like this, you, are, you have to understand the role of man. Just taking a side point here. One of the reasons I focus solely on principle is because man is flawed. Man is inherently flawed. Good people. Let me give you a prime example. John Adams, one of your founders, the second president of the United States. A very good man, very honorable man. There was a lot of things we have spoken about him at length on this show over the years. Very honorable man. John Adams was an American hero. John Adams became president and was the first person to violate the Constitution with the Alien and Sedition Act. Now, there is a funny side of that because it's 200 years ago, but in case you don't know what the Alien and Sedition Act is, basically, long story short, you couldn't criticize government. You couldn't criticize him. There was one person you could criticize, and that was Thomas Jefferson. And if you don't know the history of Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, go do some research. It's very fun, but there is a, there's a humor side of that. But he's the first person to violate the Constitution. But he's an American hero. He was a founding father. He was an instrumental in, you know, in setting things up. He's the first vice president ever of the United States. When you make things about man, you will be inherently flawed. You will be wrong a large chunk of the time. Or a small chunk of the time. But you will be wrong at some stage. When you make things about principles, you're never wrong. You're always on the side of principles. What you see right now is a lot of people in these legal backgrounds talking about case law. 
The frightening side of this, and one of the reasons I am so passionate about your constitution and speak about it so much, is because in high school and in, in colleges, you never really hear the constitution. You know, if you hear, if you go and actually go, hey, I want to become a lawyer, and you want to go to law school, you might have one semester or two, if you're lucky, on the constitution. The rest of it is on case law, is on precedent. Because here's the thing. What these legal scholars do is they're basing everything. They're all trying to get an agenda. They're all trying to get things passed, and they're ruling it on the rule of man. And let me give you a famous example. There's a case, the chances are, if you had mentioned this case to an American right now, they won't have a clue what the case is. That case is Griswold versus Connecticut. If you go out into the average street and go, have you ever heard of Griswold versus Connecticut? You will have, 99.9% of people will never have heard of this case. But I guarantee you, every American knows what this case was the foundation of too. Let me explain what this case was. Griswold Connecticut uh, versus Connecticut was based around two directors of Planned Parenthood. And they had the audacity to provide contraception to married couples. At the time, that was illegal. And they went to the Supreme Court. Now, bearing in mind, this was a phony case. But basically, they lost their case. But from the minority decision in that came a term, the right to privacy. That little term, those three little words, were the foundation stone for one of the most famous cases every American has heard of. That case is Roe versus Wade. Because what they did was, because they only focused not in on the Constitution, not in on any principles, they focused in solely on legal terms. That right to privacy in uh, Griswold versus Connecticut became the ruling decision in Roe where it became the right to privacy was expanded in the right to privacy encompasses a women's a woman's decision to have an abortion that's how legal precedent starts bearing in mind there is something you need to remember about your own supreme court your own supreme court has a horrific horrific track record of being on the wrong side of history they, I could mention many cases to you. Dred Scott, Plessy versus Ferguson, Korematsu, Brown versus Board of Education. The list goes on and on and on and on of things your, your Supreme Court said were constitutional that were horrific. In case you don't know what some of those cases are, some of them are slavery. Korematsu was Japanese internment during World War II. When you make things about principles and you are consistent, you win. When you make things about man's opinion, you will generally lose. And the last group. The last group are usually people around politics or in the media, yes, in my field as well, who literally will only use the Constitution when it suits them. They have an agenda. They just literally want to pass anything they have their law they want to pass and if it's convenient for them to use the constitution they'll use it if it's not convenient they won't our liberal friends are great at doing this i remember i forget when donald trump was elected and this has kind of died down but in the first few days of donald trump been elected and oh my god he's in there he's president oh my god <laughs> oh my panties are all twisted donald trump won remember those days all of two years ago well, there was a time our friends on the left all of a sudden flirted with federalism. They went, huh, maybe it's maybe more power should be in the States. Yes, exactly. Thank you. And th those days have gone. Th th those days were snuffed out. AOC came along and Elizabeth Warren came along and Bernie Sanders came along and went, shut up. But they had those days. They literally will use lip service. If it's popular to use the Constitution, by the way, that my friends on the right are very prone to do this as well. You know, all of a sudden, it's, oh, I'm a constitutionalist, but I'll vote for spending. I'll violate my oath of office on, on spending bills. If you voted for a continuing resolution, I don't see how you can be consistently called an originalist uh, version of a constitutionalist. It just can't happen because you violated Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Our friends on the right destroyed the Fourth Amendment single-handedly under George Bush. That amendment is dead, done, see it, thanks for playing. 
You know, even Rand Paul, God bless him, I, it was every couple of years he introduces a similar bill. He might change a word or two here. You know what? If you want to listen to people's calls, get a warrant. Usually it fails. Usually. It's never come close to passing. That's Rand Paul in the Republican Party. That is what you have right now. You have people who are originalist, people who believe in an originalist view, but also legal precedent, people who are legal, people who just want to actually look at what the law says, not the Constitution, the law. And then you have people around politics who will just use the Constitution if it means them getting more power or getting more elected or it, it, you know, poll tests really good, they'll use it. If it doesn't, they won't. There is no love. The reason I did this is not to give you and tell you what you should be. The reason I did this was to highlight the different sets of people I think we have in society right now. For all our new listeners, we release a new show every Saturday morning. We're on every major platform out there for free. We're on SoundCloud, we're on iTunes, we're on iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Omni FM, Player FM, uh, Spotify, Castbox, Overcast. Wherever if podcasts are found, please search for Freedom's Disciple. Please subscribe. Also, if you happen to listen on a platform like iTunes, please leave us a rating and a review. It helps the algorithm. It helps new people explore and find our podcast. So I can't do this journey without you. And obviously, please, please consider sharing it with a family and a friend introduce me the aim of this show is never to tell you what to think the aim of this show is to help you find where you stand on the issues i am not an expert i will never ever claim to be an expert on the constitution on american history on founding principles because i'm not there are people out there that are a lot smarter than me that you know 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 a lot more stories than i am I'm just someone who has an inquisitive mind, who really loves your nation, who loves you from afar because I see what the rest of the world is like. I live in the rest of the world. I live in Europe. So I I see why America is exceptional. The idea, the ideals that your founders fought for, those ideals are exceptional to me. They changed the world and I believe they will once again. Which leads me on to a bigger point that we need to talk about because one of the things I've been doing a lot of self-reflecting, I always do a lot of self-reflecting, so that's not really new, but one of the things I've noticed over the last couple of years, and this is mainly because I I remember being in the Tea Party, around the Tea Party, I was honored to to speak many years ago at a Tea Party event in, in D.C., the Abolish the IRS uh, rally. And I honestly thought there was a lot of people who shared my views. You know, I saw this with the Tea Party, I saw this with 912 groups, that there was a lot of people who saw America like I did. They saw America and could verbalize it and appreciate why America was an exceptional nation. Now, if we fast forward over the last sort of four, six years, I've realized that there isn't that many people who understand it. It's one of the many reasons why I'll never give up doing what I'm doing. I'm so blessed with this platform with the, at The Blaze to, to talk to you each and every week. But one of the frustrating things that I've noticed is there's a lot of people out there who have told people what to think. And have, people have listened to them and listened to them and regurgitated what they said. I think we need to have an honest conversation about do we actually inquire and require people to be self-explanatory to be self-explore yourself to find where they stand on the issues or do we just stand here because we have some moral leader whether it's someone in talk radio whether it's someone in the media whether it's someone in politics whether it's someone who's a president or a politician and they're sort of our moral leader and that we take their our cues from them because one of the things I've found, especially on, you know, on the Constitution, is I thought a lot of people, I thought there was a lot more originalists out there. There doesn't seem to be. The amount of people who I ask, hey, why is America an exceptional nation? And it's, they, some can answer it, some say a lot of words, but don't say a lot of things. And I'm not trying to be insulting or demeaning here. I'm just trying to be honest with you. Because one of the things I try and go is, how can I change this? 
Because America is an exceptional nation because of your history. This is not my opinion. This is fact. Even if you take what I talk about in Americans from an American point of view and you disagree with 100% of what I say, you know, the role of government, you know, that the electoral college isn't a great thing. The, you know, the, the constitution isn't ins- divinely inspired. America's history is just boring. It's just like everyone else. Even if you take it that you disagree with me. If you disagree with the whole Bill of Rights, you just think that's the biggest load of crap. You know, people running around with guns is not a good society. Okay, but factually you can't deny that America is unique. It is exceptional because it's whether you like it or not is irrelevant. It's unique. It's exceptional because it is the only one that ever spoke about those principles. We need to have conversations. And this is what I try and do this show. I try and do this show each and every week, not for you to think the way I think. I do the same when I do speeches, when I write. I don't want you having the same opinion I do. I am not, of all the people, if you said to me, hey, is it healthy for someone to have everyone's of their opinions? I'd be like, no, it's not healthy because we're individuals. We're individuals. You have a right to have a different opinion. It's what makes us unique. If we all have, hey, let's, you know what, let's just say... I don't know, Ronald Reagan, Calvin Coolidge. Heck, let's use someone I love, the greatest man to ever lived in my book, George Washington. Do I think everyone should be like George Washington and clone like George Washington? No, because we're not monolithic. We're not all, that would make us a collective. That would just make us a bunch of George Washingtons. Then how are we exceptional? How are we unique? We are individuals. We are people who can have difference of opinions. You can look at what I just spoke about in the first segment and kind of go, well, I'm not an originalist. I believe in the Constitution, but I also believe in legal cases. Cool. We're not enemies. We just disagree. We see things slightly different. That's okay. That's the great thing about freedom. The great idea of freedom, of real freedom, is we can look at the same scenario and go, you know what? We just see things different. You know, we see the Constitution slightly different. We may be on the same bill, you know, same page, but, you know, we're just reading different lines. You know, we can look at the economy and free trade and kind of go, well, you know, I know you're free trade. I'm, you know, free trade, but, you know, there should be some regulations and some tariffs. Okay, cool. I'm not your enemy. We just disagree. That is the great thing about freedom. I never want anyone listening to me kind of going, John thinks he knows it all, because I'd be the first one to tell you I don't. But secondly, I don't want anyone knowing my opi- or learning my opinion and just going with it. I want you to find out where you stand on the issues, even if you disagree with me. And the sad thing is, look around at the people you watch in the media. How many people want that? Look around at your culture now. How many people can you approach in society right now going, hey, I have a slightly different opinion to you. Even if you're on the same side, forget about left versus right. Because they'll always go, well, the left, you can't even talk to them. Okay, we'll just talk to your conservative friends. Talk to your Republican friends. You have a different opinion. You see Donald Trump slightly different. You see the GOP slightly different. You see the Constitution slightly different. Are you? Can you have those civil conversations as much as you used to? Or is it a case of, ooh, you know, I just better, you know, it's best to say nothing. The idea that we can't have conversations and see the world differently is incredibly sad. Because what you're seeing, especially with our friends on the left, is you're seeing people just be destroyed. Your character is assassinated if you dare have a difference of opinion. Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders is now not socialist enough. Van Jones doesn't have a home. The communist under Obama doesn't have a home in this party, in the Democratic Party. They are so monolithic and tall. You have to tow the party line. If you don't, you're dead, and we will character assassinate you. But that's the left. They're just extreme. Are we any better on the right? Are we any better? Because here's the thing. And I don't want to get back into the whole issue, but just to have conversations about the, the Donald Trump bill on the national the border and the Emergencies Act. I saw so many people call Rand Paul, Mike Lee, and different people, all types of names. I saw them from phony conservatives to phony constitutionists. Some people on my timeline even called them traitors. Really? They have a difference of opinion. 
We need to actually wake up and go, let's have conversations. Because I don't know about you, but I'm blessed with friends on all sides of the aisle. I have someone who listens to this show fairly frequently who's a Bernie Sanders supporter, who voted for Bernie Sanders in 2016. He's welcome at this show anytime. I will talk to him all day long. I'm thankful for him, and I tell him all this when I talk to him, is because I get better because of talking to him. Because if everyone believed in George Washington and everyone loved George Washington the way I do, there's no, there's no greatness there. There's no, I can't get better. Because what? You know, there might be a bit of competition for a while because, you know, when I see people like Glenn, we're always taught, you know, we share stories about George Washington, why we love him. And you're kind of trying to, hey, did you know this story? Did you know this story? Yeah, you can have that for a while, but it runs out. Where I get better, when I get better, and or I think I get better, when I talk to my friends on the left, and I go, hey, what are you talking about right now? Okay, well, let me think about this and let me, you know, break it down to a principle and have a debate with you, have a discussion with you. But on the understanding that, you know what? We can't agree to disagree. You're not my enemy. This idea that, hey, you have a difference of opinion to me, you're my enemy, is truly frightening to me, and it happens on all sides. I have lost more friends... Over the last two years, three years, sorry, over politics, over petty stuff. Oh, I didn't know you're one of those. How many times have you got that? Have you ever got that? Oh, I love that. I never knew you were one of those. Those, those, whatever those is, is incredibly frightening. I want to know what the definition for, oh, one of those is. Because that's what I get. Oh, I didn't know you're one of them. But second of all, We need to stop making men gods. The idea that, and I heard this again with this bill last week. I heard so many things that frightened me over the last 10 days, two weeks. Well, William Barr said it's okay, and he's a constitutional expert. Look, here's the great thing. If, is there a need for experts in society? Sure. Absolutely. Let me give you some examples, right? For all the talk, I might do be able to do research, and I might be able to Google things, and I might be able to learn, and I'm, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to say I'm smart, but I'm not stupid. If you said to me, hey, can you find a cure for cancer? I'm never finding it, no matter how much research I do. Why? Because I'm not an expert in that field. I'm not a, an expert. You know, hey, you know, can you explain physics to me and how we, you know, the gravitational pull of the moon and of the sun and of the earth and la, 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 la. No, because I didn't study physics in college. I can't. I'm sorry. I might be able to tell you in very layman's terms, but I'm not giving you a, I'm not going on a show talking about this because I don't know. So there is clearly a need for experts in certain fields. The great thing about the Constitution, the great thing about history is you don't need experts to tell you what to think. You can find out for yourself, especially where the Constitution is involved. Just read the Constitution. It's not like, it's not like, um, I don't know, Mein Kampf, where it's like 400 pages of dribble. You know, where it's like, oh, okay, I hate Jews, I hate people who are not the Aryan race. Yeah, 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 okay, great, wonderful. It's not like some of these books that are like, oh my god, I want to my, poke my eyes out and pull my hair out. Constitution maybe takes you 30 minutes to read, I don't know. I've never timed myself. Maybe 30 minutes? Maybe another 20 minutes, 15 minutes to read the Bill of Rights? The Declaration of Independence might take you 10, 15... You could read all three of those in an hour, and that's been very slow. That's like going, when in the course of human events. You know, and you can actually stop and pause and deliberate things. There is no need for an expert. The Constitution is rather clear. Your founders were incredible men. They were so ahead of their time. There is no, well, you know, well, there's the general welfare, and that is open interpretation. No, it's really not. We're very clear about certain things. So don't look and listen to other people. I'm not saying ignore people. Listen to as many people as you can. Get as many different opinions as you can. But ultimately, find out where you stand on the issue. And if you disagree with everyone, that's okay. Why? And this should be respected more on the right than on the left. Because we are individuals. And because we believe in freedom. We are not a collective. And we do not believe in groupthink. Or do we? Which do you want to stand for? Because when it comes down to it. I will always stand with your right to be. Even if you're 100% wrong. To be 100% wrong. And be individualistic. Than say you know what. You have 
to think this. You have to feel this. You have to believe the group of who belong to, who believe in freedom, or you have to have my opinion. Even if I know I'm right, you don't have. I don't have the right to impose my will on you. If you agree with me or you disagree with me or you have a difference of opinion or you actually have a suggestion for this show of things you'd like me to talk about, drop me a line on social media. I'm fairly active there when I can. Some weeks are hard with work, but I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple, at, on Facebook at Jonathan Dunn 58 I love engaging with you because a lot of you message me privately going, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I'll, I'll answer you back. Sometimes, full disclosure, life gets busy and I have a full-time job and I have a lot of other things going on. And sometimes it does take me a couple of days to reply, but I always do. And I love engaging with you one-on-one. And you know what? The great thing about me, I think, is I don't, I don't want to convert you. I will have a conversation with you where we totally agree and to disagree. I've had people tell me I'm wrong about the Constitution. I've had people tell me I'm wrong about Donald Trump. I've had people tell me I'm wrong about the Libertarian Party, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party. I've had people tell me about I'm wrong about everything. That's cool. That's great. We'll have a conversation. Before I get to my last point, I want to talk to you today about the Constitution. I want to tell you why I've spoken about the Constitution for this show, all of it. Because right now, everything is up for discussion. Everything is up for debate. You know, I've heard some really scary things from our friends on the left over the last two weeks. I'm not paying too much attention to your elections, because quite honestly, I don't care. Um, But it's really horrifying me the amount of stuff that is coming from our friends on the left. We have heard people like Cory Booker, you know, I'm open to packing the courts. I've heard people say, you know what, we don't need the Electoral College anymore. We need to make the case. Look, there's a, there's a time and there's a place to argue for Donald Trump. You know, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months or next year, whenever it happens and it becomes totally about the 2020 election, there are plenty of people out there who will talk to you about Donald Trump versus fill in the blank. That's not my job. I don't care. I'm not an American citizen. I'm saying this right here and right now. I will not be endorsing anyone because no one cares who I endorse for president. No one cares who I endorse for politics. That's not my job. My job is to focus in on principles. And we need to start making the case of why, yes, there's a reason you do not pack the courts. And this is not about, hey, well, this is the, the Democrats should never be allowed to pack the court. No, the Democrats or the Republicans shouldn't be able to pack the court. You know what? The Electoral College is an incredible system. Because why is it an incredible system? It gives representation to everyone in America. Or maybe if it's not perfect, it is pretty close to us. But if you make things about a popular vote, you will literally have people campaigning in big states and big cities, and that's it. And this isn't, well, that's the left for you. No, the right will do the exact same thing. Why go to a little small town in Dakota that maybe has 100 people when you can go sell 10,000 seats in New York or in Texas, you know, in Dallas or in Austin or go to somewhere in L.A., in the Staples Center? Why would you go to a small town? You have a certain amount of time running for president. Why would you go to a small town? Think about this logically. We have to make the case. Because everything is up for discussion right now. But also on their policies. Because if we don't make things about the Constitution, we lose. I honestly believe if we don't make things about the Constitution, freedom will lose. Freedom and the Constitution are linked in my eyes. Maybe I'm wrong about that, or maybe you disagree, but that is the way I see things. Because I'm, I listened to a, or, sorry, I didn't, that's a lie, I did not listen. I read about Elizabeth Warren's speech the other day, I think it was like three, four days ago, and she like campaigned on like adding a hundred trillion dollars worth of spending. Um, uh, basic income, Medicare for all, um, uh, reparations, uh, pre uh, you know, uh, Child minding, not child, what's, what's the word? I I've lost the blank. You know, child minding, pre-K and, and pre-pre-K. All these different things. Childcare. All these different bills. She spent like a, over $100 trillion like that. These are all unconstitutional. Forget about fiscal sanity. They are unconstitutional. They, again, 
if you want me to go, hey, John, prove that, go read Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. These are all clearly roles for the states if the states want to do them. So we need to make the case for why the Constitution is incredible. And this is not about left or right. This is about principles. Because I heard another solution to the Supreme Court where they wanted 15 judges. And what we do, what they would do, this proposal was, we'll have five conservatives on there, we'll have five progressives on there, and then between those ten people, they'll choose the other five. This is not okay. This is, I, and I would say this, this is not against the left. I don't want five conservative judges on the, on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, when you take an oath of office to be a Supreme Court justice, you preserve, defend, and protect the Constitution of the United States. It's rather crystal clear. You can't have five people saying, hey, let's say you only get five progressives and five conservatives, and you get five originalists. That means you have ten people who are going, you know what, I know you hired me to do a thing, and yes, I put my hand on a Bible and played along saying, I will do a certain job, but I'm not going to do it. Do you think that you would get away with that in your job? Do you think if I hired you, let's just give you a simple example. If, hey, I hired you to pour coffee, to be a barista, and then you went, you know what, screw that. I know I'm going to put my hand on the Bible, I'm going to say I'm going to be a barista, and you're paying me to be a barista, but you know what, I just want to clean tables. Or I just want to be on the, ca- uh, to be on the, on the checkouts. Do you think you'd have much of a job for long? Do you think you'd be very successful? Do you think if you were hired as a barista, and then you know what, guess what, I'm going to actually make coffee this way. I'm going to make a latte, a cappuccino, and a cappuccino, a latte. Because, hey, that's me. That's my job now. Do you think you'd have a job very long? Your job as a Supreme Court Justice is to preserve, defend, and protect the Constitution in its written form, not what you think it should be, not what you want it to be. We need to make things about the Constitution again. Which leads me to the last point I want to talk to you about. And again, this is inspired, full disclosure, about the whole you know, national emergencies thing. But I don't want to talk about the national emergency. We've done that. I want to talk to you about the principles. One of the things people have said to me is, John, look, I get it. I get what you're saying. I even agree with you on the Constitution. But, John, this is a national emergency. I'm not disagreeing with you. And I had a couple of people, I think I would say three or four people come up to me and go, listen, here's the way I see things. Cool. I agree with you on the Constitution. Great. I agree with you on the originalist intent. Great. I, you, we agree that it's a national emergency. Yep. But we have to be honest here. Okay, let's be honest. Congress has abdicated its power on this matter. Congress won't act. Which leads me to ask a question. Again, I don't want to make this about the national emergency. I want to make it about the principle. Can Congress, in a constitutional manner, abdicate its powers? Think about that for a minute. Can Congress abdicate its powers and be constitutional? I'm going to answer this, and full disclosure, I'm going to answer this in my opinion. No, it can't. No, it cannot. What has happened, if you want to, let's just take a step back through history. And this, if you hate America, or you, you know, don't like America very much, or you're wanting the portion of the show where John criticizes the founders and tells them where they were wrong, here's this, here's this part. This is the part you've been waiting on. Wee, 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 this is the part. <laughs> Your founders were great men. They foresaw a lot of things, as we spoke about earlier on and over the shows. They looked at the Roman Senate. They looked at the great British monarch. They foresaw a lot of problems. They foresaw pretty much every problem that America would have, bar one. What they thought when they set up the frame of government was, they based their frame of government on, whether you actually know this or not, they, felt they set up the government on human greed. What? Why would the founders set up the government on human greed? When you have three co-equal branches of government, you know, you have Article 1, the legislator, Article 2, the executive, and Article 3, the Supreme Court, and you have the, they, they have to check and balance each other. They said humans have a desire for greed, for power, and for lust for stature in society. That is what will keep our framework for government working. Because what you would have is the Article 1 people will be so hungry for their set of powers, they won't give up anything. They'll be like, no, Article 2 cannot infringe on our powers. Why? Because that's my power. You cannot take my power and my lust for greed and for stature and for, hey, look at me, I'm awesome. I'm your politician. We'll stop that. Likewise, Article 2. Article 2 power, it has the veto and commander-in-chief. They saw, you know what? 
the president, even though it's the lowly title, has no power, will never cede power to Congress. Why? Because the president will always want to have that power, that illustrious, you know, need for greed. For, hey, I did that. I signed that into law. I'm great. Thank me. That is what your founders foresaw. That is what your founders built the government on. What they didn't foresee was that people in Congress, and especially in Congress, would be okay with, you know, once I can get elections and once I have my little corner of power, I don't mind the executive encroaching on my powers and taking some of my powers. This idea that the president is the most powerful man or woman in the world is incredibly quintessentially founding fathers. It's not what your founding fathers wanted. They thought man's greed in the House and the Senate would stop that. It didn't. They just went, okay, well, look, once you still leave me these powers, I'm okay. So here's the thing. Can you abdicate your powers? Can any executive, uh, any part of government abdicate their powers? No. It's not constitutional. Why? Because by abdicating your powers, and when someone takes those powers, you're rewriting the Constitution. What you have in, in a framework in the Constitution is this. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution has 18 clauses. They are what Congress can do. They make all the power. They have all the power and they make all the laws. The executive oversees those laws, either signs it or vetoes it. And everything else is left up to the states. What you have seen over the last 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years... Yes, way before Donald Trump was president. This is not a modern-day phenomenon. This is an, a relatively old problem. Is Article 1 has ceded powers to Article 2, and the states have ceded their powers to the federal government. So let me give you some examples of this. A famous example. Remember the bailouts? Well, one of the things they were bailing out and gave got a lot of money to the states was to pay for your police, your firefighters, uh, and all that type of you know local government. They're not supposed to be paid by the federal government. They are. Why did they do it? Because states, rather than being fiscally responsible, decided, you know what, let's just take the federal dollar money. It makes our states look a lot easier. We can have money to spend money on other programs rather than paying police and firemen. That's what happened. They ceded their powers. They're not keeping the federal government in line. What you have is the state ceding good power to the federal government and the federal government in Article 1 ceding powers to Article 2. And in turn, they have all ceded powers to Article 3 in the, whether something is constitutional or not. They make them the moral arbiter of society. What you have effectively done is rewritten the Constitution, which is, by very definition, unconstitutional. You cannot rewrite the Constitution. That is what you've seen through actions. Effectively, what you've done is you've rewritten Article 1, Article 2, Article 3, and federalism. Therefore, by its very nature, it's unconstitutional. Now, how do you fix this? First off, you have to win the argument, I believe. We have to make the case. If you believe any part of what I believe in, we have to make the case of why Constitution is the answer. Why Article 1, Article 2, Article 3 are laid out the way they are. We have to make that case. We have to make the case for federalism. But then you also have to get involved in politics. You know, a lot of people criticize me for going, well, I'm not about politics, I'm about principles. Thinking, they, here's what I, that's what I say, and here's what they seem to hear. That all it is is about principles, and it's about winning the argument, and politics has no role, and that I'm somehow holier than thou because of it, and I won't get involved. I'll be the first one to tell you, politics is critically important. It's not my role. I'm not an American. Plus, also, with the greatest respect, I have a track record in your politics. I suck. I suck. The only benefit I have to you in society, quite honestly, if you care about winning, is ask me who I want to win, they'll lose. Because historically, the people I liked lost. Or here's another thing. Historically, the people I really liked went to Congress and sold out. That is not a five-year thing. That's a 20-year thing or a 19-year thing. Every politician I've ever liked thinking, they're good, <sighs> didn't end well. Never ended well. It never ends well. So you don't want me in politics. But I will be about principles. I will make the principle argument for you. And in turn, that hopefully makes your job easier when you get involved in politics. That you get elect politicians, whether they're men or women, whether they're Republican or Democrat, regardless of what age or you know what beliefs they have, that they will take the power back. 
Because what you're seeing right now, especially with our friends on the left and our friends on the right, our friends on the right are silent when it comes to federal spending. You're back borrowing a trillion dollars a year. A trillion dollars a year. Our friends on the left are going, hey, hey, America's $22 trillion in debt, but you know what? Screw it. We haven't spent enough money right now. Let's have all these programs. Let's have all these programs. And let's just, you know, have reparations and pre-K and pre-pre-K and, and you know, Medicare for all and government will spend everything. You're going to go bankrupt. We need to make the case for constitutionality. We need to make the argument for fiscal responsibility. We need to make the argument among our brothers and sisters about why your freedom is more important than some security. Now, why is this critically important? Let me give you a real serious example. One of the things people are afraid of with Donald Trump is because people believe he's pro-life and people believe, you know, well, if he got those judges on the court and they overturned Roe versus Wade, abortion would be illegal. It's not. It goes back to the States. But let's just play along with the narrative. Let's say all of a sudden tomorrow abortion is not only illegal, but it's a criminal crime to have an abortion in America. What do you think would happen right now? What do you think would happen? The 28th of March, the 24th of March, 23rd of March, of, of um, 23rd of March, 2019, abortion all of a sudden is illegal. Do you think it's just going to be, oh, well, that's great, abortion is now illegal, argument's over? Or do you think there will be chaos on the streets? We have to make the argument because... If we don't make the argument, and all of a sudden abortion did become illegal, I'm just using that as the most extreme, most, you know, hot topic issue that you can think of that would blow up the the streets in America. Imagine another example. Let's say Donald Trump tomorrow signed a flat tax of 10% all around. If we don't make the case, do you think there would be chaos in the streets? By the way, here's the other question you need to answer. Who does chaos better, the left or the right? If you think it's any way of a debate, look at Occupy Wall Street. Look at Antifa. Look at Black Lives Matter. They do it a lot better and they cause a lot more carnage. They would be on the streets rioting. We need to make the case, principled case, for all these issues. For the Constitution, for life, for keeping your own money, keeping the fruits of your own labor. Because if we don't, we lose. And when I say we lose... I mean, we lose as a generation, but also our kids and our grandkids lose. America changed the world. There's a reason why America is exceptional. There is a reason why 250 years ago, we didn't have microphones. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have computers. We didn't have indoor plumbing. We didn't have electricity. We didn't have central heating. We didn't have aircon. We didn't have tumble dryers. We didn't have cookers. We didn't have fridges. We didn't have cars. There's a reason why, prior to your founding, we didn't have all these things, and now we do. There's a reason why we didn't have blinds, why we didn't have pictures, why we didn't have papers and pens and drinks, why we didn't have places like Walmart, where it's literally so much choice under one roof that you can literally go crazy. You know, the idea that you can have, you know, different flavors of chips, you know, you can have, you know, you can have rippled, you can have straight, you can have baked, you can have fried. It's incredible. You can have different flavors, you know, cheese and onion, salt and vinegar, you know, sour cream and onion, barbecue, chili, sweet chili. All these choices are what because of what? Because someone somewhere had an idea, created a business in the hope of making a profit. If we don't make these cases, we are going to lose. And America will lose, future generations will lose, but the world will also lose. We have made so much advancements in society because of the idea of freedom, because of the idea of setting up your business, having an idea, and going for it. And yes, wanting to be successful, and yes, potentially being very, very rich. If we don't make these cases, I believe we lose. But I believe we will make these cases, and freedom will win. And when I say we win, I mean everyone. Even our socialist brothers and sisters win when we make those cases and society becomes better. 
as always, we finish this show by saluting everyone who serves, your police, your armed forces, your um, firefighters, your emergency personnel, the men and women who risk it all 24-7. Also, don't forget to go to freedomsdisciple.com to get your own swag, to get your own clothes. We have hoodies, America making the impossible possible. It's our most popular hoodie. Check it out. All profits go to Mercury One. When I'm back there in June. Please, God, I hope to you know give them more money. They need the money. They're doing a lot of good fundraising. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. That's each and every one of you. Until next Saturday morning, have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless America. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. Oh,